Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Lord, sometimes our, our words seem very feeble. They seem uh, insufficient when we think of how great you are. And yet you invite us near. You call us uh, into your throne room. Uh, you call us into your presence. And we thank you that the Holy Spirit is, is there. Um, he is interceding for us when our, our words cannot express what we want them to. Uh, we just give thanks and praise to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. And a special welcome to each of you here this morning. If you're here as a guest for the very first time, sure would appreciate it on the bulletin. There is a third flap, so to speak. And if you would fill that out, and as the offering pouches go by a little later, we'd appreciate if you'd put that in there. Again, it's up to you, but that way we can have a little extra time to get to know you and say hi. We're just grateful for your presence, and that's all we'd ask you to put in the offering this morning. I also want to encourage you to be reminded that we have a, a Bible reading emphasis. We're trying to encourage everybody to spend some time in the Word each day in 2020. So there's information in the bulletin. If you're tech savvy, you can go online and download the app and you can or download the program and you can read it. If not, we can print it out. I think there might be a few copies still out at the table for you, uh, the welcome table. Just glad you're worshiping with us this morning. I'd like to pray, so would you join me as we pray. Father, I pray this morning as we were singing, asking you to give us your heart that we would take your love to those around us. And I pray that that would be true for me and for each of us as part of our Creekside family, that you would give us your heart. And as we grow in our heart, that the things that move the heart of God would move our hands and our feet to do your work for your glory and for the gain of your kingdom. We pray that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law, and that we might take these truths and apply them to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Young people, if you're up through fifth grade, you're dismissed. If you haven't been dismissed, you're free to go right now. And Alec's not here, so he's not going to leave. So uh, that's good. Uh, I just want to remind you one thing. If you would be praying for Ron Carter... Ron has a kidney stone and uh, still hasn't got rid of that nasty bugger, but uh, he's got a stent in and he has scheduled for surgery next week sometime. I don't know when it is exactly, but it doesn't matter, but uh, Ann's probably got it sometime. But anyhow, he's going to go in, so just be praying for him. I want you to look at this uh, slide of a chart. We have that chart? There you go. Okay, so... I went to the optometrist the other day and uh, wanted you to know, okay, can you read the second line from the bottom? In the back, can you read the second line from the bottom? We've, we've uh, significantly magnified it. Okay, so if you can read the second line from the bottom, and I'm taking your word for it, you have 20-20 vision. Okay, that's what they, they test you on. Well, this morning we're in a second of our series on what is the 
vision, the 2020 vision for Creekside Church, since this is 2020, we want to be sure on what our Creekside vision is for 2020. And last week, we said that the beginning of that vision, or at least it includes, that we more consistently are showing to our community the love of Christ. That's what God has called us to, to be good neighbors to those around us. And notice I said not to ask who is our neighbor, but to say, to whom will I be a good neighbor? But some people would say, well, that's all that's necessary. You know, they sanctimoniously quote this little quote that's erroneously attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, which says, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. I would submit to you that the gospel is not preached unless words are used. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, Now faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Do we have that? Do we have that as a slide, Chad? I think I had it. I want to make sure I didn't misquote it. Okay, if we don't, that's fine. But faith comes by hearing. Most of us know the truth. Most of us know if, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard the message of salvation, we know the truth, but we're reluctant to share the truth. And so if we're going to fulfill our Creekside vision, we're going to have to realize that we need to be breaking the silence about what it means to know Christ. Despite the forces against us. Now, some of those forces include that we're maybe ignorant of what to share. I'm not exactly sure what to communicate to people, how I would actually articulate the gospel, or I'm surely not competent to answer all their questions. Well, that's a little bit of a hurdle to cross. Some of us are afraid. We're, We're fear. We have this fear of being persecuted, of being rejected, and that's increasingly a factor because of the growing hostility towards Christianity. We have this growing intolerance of absolute truth. We have greater decadence and a growing sense of irreverence towards God in our culture. So you're going to stand up for Jesus. You're going to be one of those weird people. You're going to be one of those people who are on the out as far as society is concerned. And so that's a hurdle that we need to cross. But the, the thing is, we, then finally, we, we may be ignorant, we may be afraid, we may be just unsure of how to kind of start the conversation. And how do I just go from, hi, how you doing, or how's life, to, well, let me tell you about Jesus. That's kind of like, ooh, that's kind of like a big jump somehow, you know. Well, so we're afraid of that. We learned last week that showing people that we love them, being good neighbors, building goodwill is part of our vision for 2020. But that's not the total vision. In order for us to lead people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ, we must learn to speak up when we're tempted to shut up. And so we need to learn to grow in this area of breaking the silence. And so this morning, we're going to understand that the Bible calls us to do good works, to build goodwill, so that we can what? Share good news. We can do good works, and we should do good works. Hopefully that builds goodwill. But all of that is not the complete package until we share the good news. And so 
if you have your Bibles or your device or you want to look under the seat in front of you and grab that Bible, I would encourage you to find 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses we're going to look at kind of mostly 17 through 21. We're going to touch on 14 and 15 and 16. Paul shares three incentives for himself as well as every believer to move us from silence to sharing the message of new life in Christ. Now, I know that's not exactly what you read up on the screen, but I, I'm always changing things, and I never actually say exactly what I have written. So just go with me on this, okay? So there, there's there, he, three realities. They are realities. They're intended to motivate us, to inspire us. But these are three incentives that Paul shares. And I want you to understand that this passage of Scripture is part of Paul's message to the Corinthian church in which he is attempting to share with them from his heart his motivation for ministry in order to establish his credibility and his integrity. This is why I'm sharing, and what I'm sharing is coming from the true reality of who I am in my heart, me and Timothy, and so you can understand that this is not some hocus-pocus stuff. That's what I think Paul is trying to communicate here. And as he does that, he shares his heart, and his heart is what should be an example and then become our heart as well, so that we move out to love other people. And so there are three. I'm going to read the text, and then we'll get to it. In verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Paul says this, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on we consider no man or regard no man or recognize no man according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. For if anyone is in Christ. He's a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins against him, And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And so God, we're entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Three incentives, three realities. And the first one is our new identity that should ramp us up, motivate us, inspire us, encourage us, and give us credibility in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if we read it in verse 16, therefore introduces three conclusions for the recipients of Christ's love, that love which was demonstrated when Christ died and rose again on our behalf based on verses 14 and 15. So 14 and 15 is what Paul says. This is what really amps me up. 
He's trying to defend himself. He's trying to say, I have great integrity in my presentation of the gospel. I'm not like those other people who've come to you with willy-nilly motives, but it's the love of Christ that motivates me. So what are these, these conclusions? Well, they who live have, first of all, notice the text says, he died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all that those who live... Those who live, those who are in Christ, those who have a relationship with Christ, what? We have a new master. That's the first conclusion, a new master. What does that mean, a new master? Because we, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. So I'm not serving myself, I'm not serving someone else, I'm serving Christ. Not only do we have a new master, but we have a new mindset. Verse 16. He says, therefore, from now on we consider or regard no man according to the flesh. What do you think he means by that? I don't think about people from a fleshly perspective anymore. I'm not really concerned about what they're wearing. I'm not really impressed with their titles or their initials after their name. I'm really not all that jazzed up about what they're driving. I really don't give a rip about the nicest house that they have on the block. That's not really, I mean, it's not that those are unimportant or insignificant or they don't matter, but that's not really how I judge people. That's not what matters to me. God loves everybody. And he says, and we don't consider, you know, we, we've known Christ that way, according to the flesh. Now we know him thus no longer. He is Lord. I think his mindset, the mindset of what should be our mindset, is that we love all people. And that Jesus is Lord. He's the ruler. He's the master. He's the king. And so there is a new master. There is a new mindset, verse 16. And then there is a new makeup. We're a new creation. A new creature in Christ. He says, any man, and this is amazing for Paul to say, any man who is in Christ. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, any person is in Christ, Jew or Gentile, it's not just the Jewish nation that has a corner on the market of being a new creation in Christ. In Christ is personal union with Christ by means of faith. Some of you know Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus or in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it means to be in Christ, it means we have new life in Him, in relationship with Him. Every believer is, a, ESV says, a new creation, okay? Entirely new through spiritual regeneration. Some of you have studied caterpillars. You know, you know what a caterpillar is, right? And what does a caterpillar become when it matures? A butterfly. So is a butterfly a new creation? Well, some would say yes. I would say it's a new form of the same creation. A butterfly, is a, a caterpillar is, is a different form of a, of a butterfly, but their same genetic makeup. A butterfly and a caterpillar are the same, different forms. When we come, become a Christian, we are a completely new creation, not just a different form of the same old thing. We're a new creation in Christ. And he says, the old is gone. The, the old life, the old things, the old life that's governed by the flesh. The hostility, the selfishness, the ways of doing things, immorality. All that stuff is gone. 
as of who we are. And the news has come, new life, new life in the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Those things are the things that are becoming new in us, and they are new in us. That's what we're supposed to be. I want you to look at Romans chapter 8, verse 5. I think we have that. Yeah, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. New creatures have new purposes. They have new perspectives. They have new priorities. And they have new practices. I don't know, I was going to show you, but it it, did take too long. But there's a a great YouTube video of Kirk Cousins, who is now the quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. You should look it up if you want to do it on YouTube. And it's his testimony. And when he was 17 years old, he was playing high school football in his first varsity football game, and he broke his ankle, and he was anticipating going, becoming drafted. He wanted to get drafted, or not drafted, he wanted to get recruited so that he could play college football, and he thought his chances were lost, and his dad sent him the verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lead not unto your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. He didn't play the rest of his junior year, so his senior year, then he ended up being recruited, and he played at Michigan State University as their, their quarterback, and then it was time for the NFL draft, and again, his dad, you know, through his life, that became his life first, trust in the Lord, he's trusting the Lord all his life, and his goal in life is not to be the biggest, best, and fam- most famous football player, but it is to live for Christ and to build his kingdom. That's a different perspective. That's a different outlook. That's a new creature in Christ Jesus who's living for Christ amidst the world. Every creature who's a new creation is designed by God for his good. That's Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. But the world wants to mold us into its egocentric mold. Put self first. Live for self. You know, success is promotion. You need power. You need prominence. You need to be recognized. You need to make a name for yourself. You need to have more and more and more and more. And when you get more, that won't be enough because you'll need more. And if you don't think you need more, then just turn the TV on. And they'll tell you all these other things that you need. You know. And you'll never be satisfied. And keeping your faith a secret, that's really important. You know, because it's personal. You know, it's private. Jesus is private. Because he came to save only the private. No, he came to save the world. And so we want to be part of those who, like Kirk Cousins, are concerned about redeeming people in the world, the entire world, Paul, Jew, and Gentile alike. You see, the flesh is eliminated. Is not, uh, the flesh is not eliminated in, from our, our influence, but its power is extricated by the, by the Spirit of God working in us. Notice that Paul reminds us in chapter 5, verse 15, the first part of the verse, it goes along with the first part of verse 19. Now all these things are from God, and then verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling us. New life is a gift. It comes from God. Reconcile means to exchange. Okay? So spiritually, a hostile relationship between man and God because of our sin is replaced by one of peace and goodwill. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says that uh, you were formerly walking among them, formerly lived in indulging the flesh, lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh, and were by nature what? Children of wrath. 
That means we deserved wrath. Children deserving of wrath. That sets us apart as deserving of wrath. Uh, some of you are familiar with what's going on in the world stage and the, the uh, taking out of uh, the Iranian military general Soleimani. And that the, the actions of that man set him at odds with and hostility towards the United States. Okay, So it's, that's the relationship that fallen humans have with a a righteous God. But God eliminated the cause for hostility when he sacrificed his son on the cross. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, he made peace through the blood of his cross. The wrath that we deserve because of our sin was taken by Christ on himself on Calvary. The full and final punishment we deserve for our sin was placed on him, removing the enmity that blocked fellowship with God. That's what made it possible. But only those who believe are reconciled. So this possibility is there for all to be reconciled, but only those who believe actually receive it. And then when they receive it, their sins are forgiven and they're declared to be righteous so that Paul says of them, they're blameless and beyond reproach in Colossians 1.22. Why? Because he died and rose again on our behalf. His death and burial and resurrection proves that he, he, dying he saved me, buried he carried all my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever. But I have to accept it. I was at a wedding a few weeks ago and you know, people invited to the wedding. You've been invited to weddings, maybe. You go to the wedding and there's a, a meal afterwards. Well, if you're invited and you go, then you stay for the meal, usually. But, you know, they figure like, what, 20% of the people invited never stay, okay? But the meal's been paid for. But you don't benefit from the meal unless you show up. Christ died. For sins, died once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And so we have to accept it in order to be reconciled. Reconciliation is a loving initiative. Notice verse 18, it's from God and to God. Verse 18, he says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself. So it's from God and to God. And it's a reconciliation between man, humans, and creation is through Christ. When our Haiti team went to Haiti in October, did they serve and minister to every single need of every person in Pion? Team? You met every need of every person in, in, the, in, the, in the city and the region around there, right? No. So why'd you go? I mean, what, what difference did it make? What's the point? If you didn't help everybody, everybody didn't benefit, then why go? Because it helped somebody. Because it ministered to somebody. Because it matters to every person for whom you served and cared and loved and gave. That's why. So, why did Christ die? If everybody's not going to benefit? What he did on the cross matters for every single person who receives Christ as Lord and Savior. 
because they are no longer dead, they're alive. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. We live for him who died and rose again on our behalf. He died for us, and when we are beneficiaries of his mercy and his grace, then it matters to me. It matters to us. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Are you reconciled to God? This is the, this is the thing. Are you still at enmity with God because of your sin? Is your sin separating you? But Jesus took away the enmity. He paid the price. If you would receive what Jesus did as the payment you deserve, you would be reconciled to God. There would no longer be a relationship of hostility, but one of peace and goodwill. It's our identity in Christ. It's who we are in Christ that moves us to want to and gives us credibility to share the gospel. Secondly, it's our new ministry. End of verse 15 or 18, he says, And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Same at the end of verse 19. So there's three facts that help us claim this ministry as our own. First, the source of the ministry is that God gave it to us. If we're in Christ, then God gave us a ministry. And the ministry is one of reconciliation. So this is, it's sourced in God. And this giving it to us communicates two important things. First of all, it's a reward. And it's a responsibility. I remember, vaguely now, but I remember the day we brought our, our firstborn son home from the hospital. And I thought, wow. What a reward. What a precious gift from God. But I also was overwhelmed with the responsibility. Seems to be taken seriously. This ministry that we have been given is a reward and a responsibility that we are to carry with us not to take it lightly. You know, you get an assignment from your boss, you take it seriously. You're going to school, you get an assignment from your teacher. Yeah, not all of you take it seriously. Some of you take it seriously. <clears throat> but, you know, you know, why do we not take seriously God's gift of this ministry to us? And I'm preaching to myself, you know. So it's like, wow, we've got this ministry. Then there's the substance of the ministry. It's a ministry in verses 18 and 19, the end of those verses, of reconciliation. It's the opportunity to be an instrument of bringing people out of this relationship of hostility and bringing them into one of peace and goodwill with their God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are not familiar with this story, and some of you are, but when I thought about what does it mean to be an instrument, what, what's one powerful demonstration of being an instrument of bringing people out of hostility towards God into the right relationship with Him, I thought about the story that actually I think Mark referred to it a, several weeks ago when he was preaching, but the story of uh, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and Roger Udarian and uh, uh, Bill McCulley and those boys that were killed down in uh, Ecuador in 1955. Well, I want you to see this picture of uh, uh, Minke. Minke, who is on your left, is a Wa'adani warrior who was the very one whose spear killed 
Nate Saint. Standing next to him is Nate Saint's son, Steve. Because Nate Saint's sister, Rachel, went and stayed and lived among the Wa'adani people, she became an instrument of reconciliation. And Minke became a follower of Jesus Christ, walking the God path, as he calls it. Walking the path to God. Not only was he reconciled to God, but he was reconciled to the very family that lost their father. He calls, Steve Saint calls Minke dad. And his kids call him grandpa. The very one who killed his dad and grandpa. This is the power of Christ. This is what it means to be an instrument of reconciliation. Only in Christ could that be possible. And now Steve travels the world and the country sharing and translating. They've gone and lived among the Wa'adani people. Now, have all of the Wa'adani come to faith in Christ? These were people who were known for taking people's lives. They killed each other. That was what they did. They were cannibals. And murderers. The power of Christ. That's what God has given to us. Our ministry matters for eternity. And then the strategy of our ministry. In verse 19, the end of it, he says, He committed to us the word of reconciliation, which requires that we have to say something. We have to inform the lost that God in Christ's death and resurrection has made a way. He's made it possible for them to be reconciled to God. We have to inform them that they are subject to His wrath. But if they will trust Christ and turn from their sin, they'll enjoy peace and life and forgiveness. And we invite them to accept God's offer of salvation. I don't know about you, but it's like, I don't know, I think my mailbox is like, uh, here we go. I guess I need to work out or something. Uh, so Planet Fitness sends me this big flyer, which they can't miss. You know, just a dollar down and ten bucks a month. There you go. Uh, A&W Root Beer, uh, Home Security System, uh, Sam's Club Furniture. Uh, here I can get yoga lessons. Uh, here they're going to cut my trees down. And here I can get window shades and blinds. There you go. Oh, invite me. They inform me of what I need, and then they invite me to accept it. Folks, we have the best news. All we need to do is inform people, and then invite them to accept what God has done for them in Christ. I don't care if you're a housewife, you're a CPA, if you are a truck driver, an auto mechanic, an insurance salesman, whatever it is you have as a label, your profession, you know, you're a sound tech person, you're a, a gearhead, if you're a person who is a computer programmer, whatever it is, you are a minister of reconciliation if you are a child of God. That's your real job. Everything else you just do to earn money so you can live in this world, okay? 
That's who we are. We have a new identity. We have a new ministry, and we have a new priority. And this is revealed for us in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And you know what an ambassador is. An ambassador is the one who speaks for and with the authority of the country they represent. We speak for and with the authority of Christ. And we're supposed to say, as though Christ were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. We, we, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Yeah. We beg you. Where? Where should we be begging people? Where should we be inviting people? Where should we be reconciling people? In our homes. In our workplaces. As you're standing in line for the checkout counter at Sam's Club, when it's five rows deep, or five people deep, every single checkout counter, because you're stupid enough to go on Saturday, like me. <laughs> it's a chance to talk to people about Christ when you're sitting in the doctor's office, when you're sitting in the dentist chair. When you're at Planet Fitness, you know, or yoga class. Or wherever it is. It's a chance to be a minister for Jesus. You know, my wife, bless her heart, she has many, many opportunities. And she takes them to share Christ and talk to people about Jesus and about their faith at her workplace. And there have been times she goes, I don't know, Steve, I might might get fired. But, uh, you know, and there's other times when people are inviting it. But you know when you deal with people when they're dying? uh, You know, hey, hey. Let's go for it. And we're all dying. We all sometimes think it's a way out distant thing, but we never know. And so we're, we're supposed to urge them. And the idea is of intensity. We beg you reveals intensity and urgency. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm so glad I don't watch very much of the local news channels. And I'm not social media techie enough that I get a lot of the political ads from that. But, you know, every candidate running for every office is going to be begging you and me to vote for them in the upcoming election. They're going to be begging because they think it's the most urgent thing and most intense thing. But he says, we are ambassadors for Christ as though, he says, you, you, we beg you. Who's you? Unbelievers. We beg you, unbelievers, to be reconciled to God. We beg you. I don't know. I don't. That's kind of strong, isn't it? I mean, it's like, I don't, I don't really like to beg people. But we need to be urgent. And to do that, there's a, at least three things we need to do. First, we need to inform people that our sin puts us at enmity with God. We need to tell people sin is sin. We need to say that the wage of sin is death. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need to tell people the horrible, immediate, and ultimate consequences of walking in disobedience to God. It, it costs us of our active rebellion and passive indifference. Now this, you know, I like the way that was presented to me one time a long time ago. Sin can be basically categorized. It's active rebellion. I know what God wants me to do and I'm not doing it. Or passive indifference. I really don't care what God wants me to do. Well... That's sin. I don't know if you knew this, but the United Methodist Church is is in the midst of a split. They're getting ready to split the United Methodist Church because half of the church decided that what the Bible calls sin is not sin anymore. 
And so they're going to walk away from what God's word says and, and from their own traditional teachings. And the other half says, no, we, we really still think what God's word says is true. So we're going to hang in there with that. We need to be able. Now, it doesn't mean we walk around telling people, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. You're a sinner, 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 sinner. You know, like somehow we're sanctimonious and pious. We're sinners too. We, we sin, but we have a new identity. But we don't need to shy away from the fact that we need to reveal to people through our Christ-like good works and through the truth of the gospel that lying and stealing and cheating and sexual immorality and pride and selfishness and greed, it's sin. Every problem that we have on this planet can be rooted back and traced back to sin. You know, think about your workplace. Who are the knuckleheads you work with? Well, you know, don't just think of them. Think of yourself because they may think you're a knucklehead. Well, we're, we're all sinners. And it, it's all mixed up. We need to tell people and point them to the fact that sin is sin. And that won't make us very popular because the world likes to sin. Secondly, we need to instruct people about God's grace. Isn't it, isn't it, it's, it's not just about name-calling. It's about the grace of God. We don't deserve what God has given to us. But he makes available to us this forgiveness. I was, first service, um, I think Vern quoted John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Why did God send Jesus? Wants to pounce on people, you know, stomp them. No, to save us from our sin. And that's the message that we communicate to people, God's love. And then we invite people to personally turn from their sin and trust in Christ. What are we supposed to tell them? I mean, what are we supposed to tell them? I mean, what's the message we're supposed to use? We're supposed to invite them. And so I want to do that. I made a point in my mind. I said, okay, I'm going to preach this message on sharing the gospel, what we're supposed to do. So if you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Christ, you've never been reconciled, you realize that, yeah, I do make mistakes. I do not live perfectly before God. And I accept that what Jesus did on the cross is the payment that I deserve and that I want to turn from my sin. I want to trust him. That's the Bible's word for repentance is the Bible's word for that. 180 degree turn from moving away from God, moving towards God in my mind. And I want to accept what Jesus did on the cross as a payment for my sin. I invite you right now that before you leave this place, just to bow your head, especially when we have communion, you can bow your head and say, Lord, I messed up. I know it. And I just am so grateful that you sent Jesus and that he paid the debt that I owe so that I, I want to turn from my sin and trust you and accept what he did for me on the cross and invite you to be my Lord and Master. Now, what I just said is the essence of what needs to be communicated, not those words. Just do that before you leave here today. And you will become one of those new creatures in Christ. We're supposed to invite people to put their faith in. And what's the message we communicate to them? That's verse 21. He made them, him, that is God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, sinless son of God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, in our place. <laughs> that in him, that he would, the one sinless God, 
son took upon himself our sin so that he died our death so that when we trust in him, we live. Now, isn't it a mar marvelous thing that the, the, the theologians call this, you know, those, that we'd be in a relationship with Christ, that we might become righteous. He made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Think about it. Um, it's kind of cold and flu season. A lot of nasty bugs going around. So let's just say, for example, and as far as I know, this is not true. Let's just say I have influenza A, okay? And so you're going to greet me after the service, and I'm going to give you a big hug and say, look, you know, you can take on my influenza A. And I'll just take from you your health. How's that working out? It's not going to work. You're going to get influenza A, and I'm not going to get better because, you know, you transferred your health to me. But in the divine transfer, which theologians call this, Ephesians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, the sinless Son of God took upon himself our sin, what was causing our death, so that he died. And we, in the transfer, received his righteousness so that we live. That's the marvel. That's the message. That's what we say. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His own body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds we are healed. That's the marvel of the gospel. Christ died for us so that we can live in Him. And that's the message that we carry to a lost world. We express to them what we have experienced. We want them to know and enjoy the love of God which we have experienced. That's what we share. It doesn't matter our vocation. It doesn't matter our location. It doesn't matter our situation. It doesn't matter anything. We are ministers of reconciliation. That's what we're supposed to do. So in the park and on the playground and in the boardroom and in the break room and in the lunchroom we are sharing with people about Jesus in every place, at every age, on every stage, we're ambassadors for Christ. As you walk around the business, but when you leave this place, when we get up and you get dismissed, you're, what? you're an ambassador for Jesus. I love what Luke says in Luke chapter 24, I think it's verse 48. You are my witnesses. Good, bad, and ugly, we are his witnesses. We're the best he's got. I mean, where is it? So let's shine for Christ. Despite the ignorance that we have about what to share, despite our fear, despite the irreverence and intolerance and the decadence of our culture, despite our confusion about how to introduce the gospel of Jesus Christ, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How can it be that I should gain from his? I, I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. 
That's the message. We get what we don't receive. We get what we don't deserve. And we have just been rescued. And now we're supposed to share that. God, give us grace to show the love of Christ by being better neighbors and give us grace to be better sharers of the Word of God. We don't want to show the love of Christ. We want to share the love of Christ through the gospel in our community. And we're speak up for Jesus. Just think about what God has done for us. Our new identity in Christ. And recognize that we have this ministry. And then ask God to give us grace to be his ambassadors. And as we corporately proclaim the message of reconciliation, and that's what we do when we celebrate communion. We're proclaiming the Lord's death, as Paul says, until he comes. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his power to redeem and sanctify and save us. That's what we proclaim. It becomes a challenge to everyone who doesn't know Christ, an invitation to enjoy what it means to be forgiven. It becomes a time of introspection for us as believers to say, you know, what has God done for me? And notice 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ, Christ's love for me, Paul says, well, for the love of Christ, he's talking about he and Timothy, the love of Christ controls us. It determines how I live my life. hope and pray that's more true for us in 2020 than it was in 2019. And as you have time to reflect on this, as our praise team comes and as I pray, uh, we'll be distributing the elements. We won't be distributing. You'll be coming up here if you want. But take some time to reflect and pray and then come up. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus, you're welcome to partake of these elements as a reminder to proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. If you don't know Jesus, then I invite you to turn and trust in him and then come up and take him as a testimony that you're now one of his children. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you and I pray in my own life that I would be more consistent to be an ambassador for Christ, more conscious of the ministry of reconciliation that you've given me. I pray that you'd give us words in our mouths, that you'd lead us to open hearts and open minds and that you'd open our mouths to share the gospel more freely, to break the silence for your sake and for your glory and for the gain of your kingdom. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.